Good morning. Today is September 13th, 2008, and uh, welcome to my Women's Health Podcast. Uh, you probably, if you've listened to me before, you've heard my, my bird in the background. He tends to get a little jealous when I get talking. But he's with me all the time, so I, I ask you to bear with me. Just trying to pick him up. Two reports I have today. One is about oral contraceptives for women with PMS, which is uh, research that is near and dear to my heart. And the other one is about uh, pregnant women and eating fish. So let's one that I'm mostly interested in um, because of my prior research regarding women with PMS. And it comes out of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill School of Medicine, and it's uh, about a, a it actually sounds like they're recruiting subjects, and it's called a oral contraceptives may ease suffering of women with severe premenstrual syndrome. And a new clinical trial at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is using a popular low-dose contraceptive, which they think may uncover a more effective treatment for the 5 to 10% of women who suffer from premenstrual disorder which is also called PMDD. PMDD is much more severe than PMS. The disorder interferes with the woman's ability to function effectively several days out of each month for every month. Physical symptoms can include bloating, low energy, heart palpitations, joint and muscle pain, and but far more important are the disruptive emotional symptoms that include irritability, anxiety, depression, mood swings, difficulty focusing and trouble sleeping. That's why it falls under a, a, a term called dysphoria because it can go from severe anxiety to, to severe depression. Um, let me just give a little bit more information here. Premenstrual symptom, syndrome actually may fall for the other 85% of the population or 90% of the population uh, may be what is called uh, premenstrual melimina. Maybe we need to get rid of the term PMS period. Uh, Premenstrual are the normal menstrual cycle events because of the the um, cascade of neuroendocrine events that occur in a woman's monthly monthly cycle. There's going to be some physical symptoms, whether there be some bloating, whether there be a little bit of moodiness, whether there be creativity. There's not all bad symptoms. There's good symptoms, and that's part of what my research had been focusing on. But um, the idea, though, that the difference with PMDD and, and PMS symptoms, or what I would like to call premenstrual melimina, is that for women with PMD, their life is severely disruptive and they're unable to function because of those symptoms. So for many women with PMDD, the multitude of um, primarily mood symptoms occur the week before menstruation start and interestingly enough, disappear a few days after the period or after the heavy bleed. For a long time, it was thought that the symptoms had to occur once the bleed began. So this is when many women were diagnosed as uh, schizophrenic, uh, severe depression, and all these other psychiatric disorders because they said it was not related to the, to the bleed. And that's what's made hard is that in medical school, physicians are taught to diagnose by the symptom and not by the timing of the symptom. So I, I would love to see physicians say, well, tell me when, where in your cycle did, did your depression start? Um, I talked to a woman one time 
who tried to commit suicide three times and never did anybody ask her where she was at in her uh, menstrual cycle and it was always in the week before um, her bleed began and so she needed her symptoms you know needed to be treated accordingly based on on this the National Institute of Mental Health awarded uh, University of North Carolina a $3 million grant for a five-year clinical trial using a low-dose contraceptive called YAS. Um, the trial is based on previous research by David Rubinow, um, who he's, he's really well-known in this field of research, so I was glad to see that. My first concern is when I saw that they were going to look at oral contraceptives, I saw a red flag because that actually has not done any good, but that is some research goes so and oral contraceptives have changed quite a bit but he is the chair of psychiatry at the UNC uh, School of Medicine Rubinow discovered it is the change in not the level of reproductive hormones that triggers depression in women who are susceptible to PMDD in other words women with the disorder don't have abnormal levels of reproductive hormones but are sensitive to the shifts in them that occur prior to menstruation. That sensitivity triggers mood symptoms. Excuse me a moment, I've got to do something about this word. Talk about hormones. Uh, he actually gets hormone shots uh, to suppress his, his uh, testicles and his productions of the androgen. Now I got him. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> anyway, back to this. This study will potentially demonstrate that it is the regimen of administration of birth control pills rather than their specific formulation that results in successful treatment of PMDD. He said that his colleague and a fellow co-principal investigator of the trial, Susan Girdler, professor of psychiatry, said if we can eliminate the hormone cycling, we should eliminate the PMDD symptoms. There are no other studies of continuous administration of birth control pills, so the ability of the study to identify the role of neurosteroids like allopregnanolone, a metabolite of progesterone in PMDD is, uh, is unique. During the trial, researchers will test three groups of 27 women for a three-month period. One group will take a full 28-day 28 28 day dose of oral contraceptives continuously while another takes the standard 21-7 regimen each month. A third group will be given a placebo. After the three months, researchers will measure hormone cycling, as well as metabolites of progesterone, which are involved in activating brain centers. They're, they're regulators of mood and emotion, so if you can eliminate the metabolites that have been implicated in PMDD, you may create a huge benefit for women with PMDD. The other reason I find this exciting, um, I had done research on women with Meniere's disease because many symptoms escalated, and this, this just ties exactly into what I had found, that uh, women with PMDD tended to have an increase in symptoms, so it may be as a result of these metabolites. Um, they, they talk about a woman here, um, I think I'll pass that up, but they, did, they do mentioned that antidepressants like SSRIs, which is the Prozac, um, which is a very common treatment for women with PMS, only works 40% um, of the time. You know, they need other options. Um, so this study is hopefully looking at another uh, treatment choice. 
women with severe PMS who are medically healthy and not currently taking psychotropic medicines for PMDD are invited to enroll. Um, and here is the website if you're interested in enrolling in the study. It's called womensmooddisorders.org. Womensmooddisorders, all one word, dot org. And the phone number is 919-966-2547. So if you're interested in being part of that study, um, it'd be great. The next one is about the conflicting messages on what to eat when you're pregnant. Um, pregnant women often receive, this actually comes out of St. Joseph's University, pregnant women often receive fragmented messages about what foods to avoid during their pregnancy. One of the most confusing health messages for women is the recommended guidelines for eating fish. In fact, conflicting reports about safe levels of mercury in fish have a majority of pregnant women eliminating food from their diet altogether. In a recent study, Nancy Childs, a PhD professor of food marketing at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia and research colleagues, warned this decreased consumption of fish among childbearing pregnant and lactating women and young children is likely to have detrimental consequences to public health. It is conservatively estimated that 73% or 2 million women may not be consuming enough no mercury fish during their pregnancy. By decreasing the amount of fish they eat rather than just minimizing the consumption of the large fish, pregnant women are missing the advantages of the low-fat, high-protein component of a healthy diet. There is much evidence that the consumption of fish, in particular the N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease. Fish is also beneficial to the cognitive development of the fetal and infant brain. In 2004, the Environmental Protection Agency and the Food and Drug Administration issued a joint advisory to pregnant and nursing women warning that excessive consumption of high mercury fish can have dangerous neurological consequences to infants and young children. And again, the key here was excessive. Methylmercury, the toxic metal found in all fish, is present at the highest levels among swordfish, sork, bluefin mackerel, tilefish, and tuna. It's really about which fish, how much is eating, and who is consuming the fish that's important. The ideal message will encourage the replacement high mercury fish with low mercury fish. And until a multi-agency sophisticated consumer com communication is developed, health professionals need to be diligent in educating their patients on fish consumption. Uh, you can read about this in the journal if, of the American College of Nutrition. And that's all I have for today. I know it's been a while since I podcasted. I just turned 55 last week. My goodness, I, I think the most distressing thing with that is that our local Ross store has a discount for people 55 and older. And all of a sudden, I'm in a new uh, age bracket for uh, demographic questionnaires, the 55 and above. But I feel good. Um, I think I look okay for my age. And um, just very grateful to be alive and be able to do this and to, and to talk with you. Never hesitate to send me an email and forgive me for, forgive my bird. I know he can be obnoxious, but he is my bud and I feel loyal to him. Anyway, take good care. Um, take good care of yourself. Love your family and I wish you the best. This is Dr. Gwen. Bye now.